You've just tuned into the Unify podcast from Unify Youth. Our goal is to equip young people with the Word of God so they can live empowered in Christ and tackle the challenges of this world. Tune in for weekly sermons, devotions, and interviews. Welcome to the Unify podcast. Welcome to this workshop. This is um, my reading workshop. So you might be wondering, why have, you, why have I chosen this workshop? Um, I don't even like reading. Uh, why am I here? Or you might be here because you love reading and you want to know how you can read better. Um, so either way, I'm glad you're here. Um, I hope this workshop is helpful to you and encouraging to you um, in your daily life, whether you currently read a lot or not. Um, So I hope you can see by the end of this workshop that reading is really valuable, especially for Christians. So I'm going to pray to begin and then we can get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Cross Culture Camp and for the time that we get to spend here um, and away from the busyness of life and really consider um, our daily habits and um, just bigger things in our lives. And Lord, thank you for um, the gift of books and reading and the privilege it is to get to know the world around us and to get to know you more as well. And Lord, I pray that we would really um, take something away from this workshop. In your name I pray. Amen. So in this workshop, um, I want to go through some of the key reasons why I think reading is worth your time. So in this type of world and age, um, it is much easier to just put on a movie, watch a TV show, play a game or listen to music. Um, But even though it might be the harder option, I want you to see that reading is actually so rewarding and it's always worth our time. So this workshop is going to be structured into three parts, as you'll see on your worksheet. And we'll go through each part from least important to the most important. So in the first part, we'll be answering the question, why read books in general? And secondly, we'll answer why read Christian books, um, focusing on the values of reading Christian books and how your spiritual life can be enriched by these types of books. Finally, and most importantly, why read the Bible? The Bible is a supreme classic. It is God's word and where we can find out who God truly is and understand ourselves and the world around us. So number one, why read books? Um, In this section, I'm going to talk mostly about good books that would be considered works of literature or classics. But the principles that that will be brought up will also apply to all types of books, fiction and nonfiction, poetry and prose. So there are three main reasons why Christians should read books alongside the Bible. I'm going to focus on three. Um, Reason number one is that reading is a gift to be enjoyed. Number two is reading helps us understand the world. And number three, reading helps us build good habits. So reason one, reading is a gift to be enjoyed. James um, chapter one, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Why should we read? The answer is obvious. Because we are not all knowing and self-contained, we do not hold the answers and wisdom to everything. We read in order to gain wisdom and understanding that we would not otherwise gain from our everyday experience. From books, we can learn information, but we can also learn from stories. Books are like windows into the lives lived by others around the world, and we can learn from their experiences, whether good or bad. So more than just obtaining knowledge, we read books because they're works of art and creativity. God has made us in his image, 
And we learnt about that today um, as creatures who can delight in good things and appreciate beauty. In the creation account in Genesis, we learn that God is the creator of all things and delights in what is good and beautiful. Multiple times he causes creation good and calls the creation of man very good. Throughout the Bible, we catch glimpses of the importance of beauty in God's instructions on building the temple, in the Psalms, um, in God's words to the prophets, and in John's revelation of the new heaven and earth. So beauty is really important to God. And since we are made in God's image, we too enjoy creating beautiful and good things. So reading books not only teaches us stories or information, but also gives us art through the book's language and form to enjoy and appreciate. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As Christians, we are meant to love beautiful things as they relate to God and spend time in these things. Reading literature increases our capacity to behold beauty because of the way that truths are presented to us. For example, the tragic truth of the vanity of human life can be expressed in a variety of ways. A bumper sticker on a car might show the words, life is short and then you die. So this is true, we get the point. However, consider how Shakespeare's Macbeth expresses it in the fifth act of the play after he hears of the death of Lady Macbeth. And I'm going to read this to you. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So the meaning of the soliloquy and the bumper sticker is exactly the same. Life is short and then you die. But the language and sounds of the words used by Shakespeare draws the audience deeper into the meaning of the words and changes and deepens our understandings of life and death in a different way. So the sheer beauty of those words can help us to appreciate the richness and complexity of the truths we are presented. So my point here is good art brings glory to God and so do good books. Um, so think of a book or a poem or play that you really enjoy. Why do you enjoy it? Is it because of the story and the plot twists or is it because of the way that it was written? The best books have both an amazing story and an amazing storyteller. Right, so number two, reason number two why we should read. Um, reading helps us understand the world. A book is like a window into another world which expands our worldview and brings us out of our self-centered world for a time. In these other worlds, we can experience goodness, beauty and truth, as well as folly, wickedness and darkness. We can better understand the world through the lives and stories of others. So C.S. Lewis, who is a famous writer, he says, but in reading, reading great literature, I become a thousand men and yet remain myself. Like the night sky in the Greek poem, I see with a myriad eyes, but it is still I who see. So cognitive research has shown that people who read literature and fiction have an increased sense of empathy towards those, oh, compared to those who don't. Reading widely can often help us love our neighbor better because we can understand others better. So when you read a book, 
you can read with a spirit of inquiry and ask, what vices are condemned and what virtues are condoned or promoted? So what is shown as evil in the book and what is shown as good? The best and most God-glorifying books are those which condemn sin and uphold good moral virtues. They may show characters going through a hard time and persisting because they have a deeper love which motivates them. They may show a character living in corruption and sin, um, for example, as a thief, before they discover honour and other virtues. So as a side note, because we're human and as authors and we're inherently sinful, it is much easier to make sin look more appealing or attractive in books than good. It is always the flawed characters that, are mo that most interest us over the goody two-shoes. But authors who uphold biblical virtues and make them appealing, they work much harder and better display beauty, goodness and truth. So some of my favourite authors who do this well include C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien and also George MacDonald. Um, so one of the most important virtues that we should be looking forward when we're reading is the pursuit of truth. As Christians, we believe that meaning can be found and words really do mean something, particularly God's word. There is such a thing as truth, and this is a fact that's denied by some of the loudest voices in the world at the moment. The world will tell you to find your own truth, and you do you, and the best thing you can do is reach inside of yourself and be true to yourself. But Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves if we say that we know our own hearts and we trust in our own might, not God's, if we believe that on the inside we're actually good. The Bible teaches us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all, like sheep, gone astray and each of us have turned to his own way. We don't know what's good for us, but God does, and we should trust him and obey him rather than our hearts. So in the same way, the, um, that may be true for you, but not for me, way of thinking has also affected the way that we read. And this is a result of modernism and postmodernism, um, which sound really complicated, but I think it's important to think about as Christians when we're faced with so many academics and teachers telling us how to read. It also has implications for how we read the Bible, which is a practice we do not want to get wrong. So to explain modernism and postmodernism, modernism began in the late 19th or early 20th centuries um, when people began to view the world differently after the rise of industrial societies and World War I. Um, in modernism, it became more popular to look for eternal truths in science and logic rather than the Bible. Postmodernism, on the hand, is a philosophy that came after modernism. This philosophy says that there is no objective or absolute truth. Postmodernists are the ones who say, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And you can say that sort of statement when discussing your favorite food or your favorite music, but it cannot be applied to reality. So this is a confusion between matters of opinion and matters of truth. So while the literature being produced in both modernism and postmodernist era might be great and worthwhile, the philosophies and methods of reading that arose during those times are a bit problematic. So when I was at uni, I was taught to read the text through the lens of postmodernism, postcolonialism, critical race theory and intersectionality, um, even if those texts are not supposed to be read that way. In fact, nowadays it is very easy to misread a lot of books by imposing your own meaning onto the text and making it say whatever you want it to say 
which is often not what the author intended the text to say at all. So beware of the methods of reading that promote the following. Number one, death of the author. This method of reading says that who the author is and what they meant when they wrote the book doesn't actually matter. In fact, it is only the reader's response um, to the text that matters. The reader might have an emotional response to the text or might bring in their own cultural or personal baggage when interpreting the meaning of the text. Um, but this is not how we are supposed to read books, particularly when it comes to the Bible, as we'll discuss later. So death of the author minimizes the role of the author um, when you're interpreting the text. Number two is deconstruction. So while structuralism means that you look for structure and meaning in a text, deconstructing takes meaning out of a text by looking for inconsistencies, ambiguities, and flaws. It starts with the assumption that a text exists in the mind of the reader, and it's the reader's response which is prioritized over the author's intention, or even the fact that words have meaning at all. So when you de deconstruct a text, you can then reconstruct the text to say whatever you want to say. Um, and this is also incorrect. Thirdly, um, theories which do not balance the author, text, and reader. So all three elements of reading are important. So the author, their intention and tradition in which they're writing, um, the text, its meaning and its form, and the reader, so our enjoyment and encouragement from the text. If we put too much emphasis on one or the other, it can lead to some pretty skewed interpretations. So overall, I think it's important for Christians to understand that these modern um, or not so modern ways of thinking or reading a text can be so contrary to what we believe as Christians. As Christians, we believe that there is such thing as truth. Um, we believe that words actually do mean something and there is an author of all creation who's God, whose intentions does matter. If we fall into the trap of thinking that we can interpret uh, how we read what, however, however we feel like, with no regard to the context, the author's intention, or the tradition in which the text is written, that can be very dangerous, particularly when it comes to reading God's word, the Bible. Another self-reflection question for you guys. Have you ever had someone tell you that everyone's interpretation is valid and that there's no such thing as absolute truth? Number three, the third reason why I think reading is important um, is because reading helps us build good habits. Um, and these are good habits that can be transferred to reading and understanding other texts, including the Bible. So let's admit it, reading is hard. It's much easier to sit back, scroll on your phone, watch something on Netflix, um, then pick up a heavy book before going to bed or whenever we have a moment of downtime. Even though it's hard, and because it's hard, reading is actually such a wonderful and transformative habit to have. Once we practice reading long and difficult passages with words we don't understand, the more we develop in patience, diligence, and attentiveness that doesn't come naturally to us. Everything in the world is screaming for our attention and we live in constant distraction. Um, putting these distractions aside, reading can quieten us down cause us to think and think deeply. We can develop really good habits of carefulness and thoughtfulness that God can use in other parts of our lives, including reading his word. So should we read old books or new books? While reading a contemporary novel, which is set in a familiar culture might be good because it gives us insights about the world we live in now, I wanna suggest that you expand your reading list to books that are set in other cultures and times. 
old books, particularly those that are more than 50 years old, can be a little bit hard to get into, um, especially if we aren't used to the language or we don't understand what's always going on. But reading these types of books not only expands our linguistic palettes by exposing us to new words and sentence structures, but it also helps us to engage with other times and cultures, and that is an important skill to develop. Old books or classics are generally better written and better display beauty, goodness, and truth. Like David Copperfield, Jane Eyre, etc., they're written so differently. New books are often catering to our skim reading generation. Um, and we tend to consume information quickly without much thought. But when we read the classics, we learn to appreciate the longer sentences, the slow pace of storytelling, and the incredible craftsmanship that went into each sentence and structure. So a classic, when I'm talking about classic, I mean it is one that is regarded in the best of its class, or it is of the highest quality. It also possesses permanence. It is timeless because it speaks to timeless human concerns and con the human condition which we are learning about in this Genesis series. We often don't know what book would be considered a classic until it's proven itself to be valuable and timeless. And that is why often the classics are so old. So where do we start? So here's some quick tips on choosing a book and reading well. So number one is read something you enjoy. We just discussed how literature is supposed to be appreciated and enjoyed. If you aren't enjoying a book, after the first three or five chapters or so, you can feel free to put it down and choose something else that's more worth your time. It's not all about finishing as many books as you can, but appreciating what you are reading and taking the time to consider the truths being presented. So people say, which I don't know if you want to follow this, people say that the point in which you abandon the book depends on your age. So you, get, you deduct your age from 100, and that's how many pages you should read before giving up. So if you're 40, read 60 pages. If you're 30, read 70 and so on. So the idea is by the time you're 100 years old, you can judge a book by its cover. Wow. <laughs> wow. Number two, my second tip, read thoughtfully and carefully. Sometimes it can be fun to fly through a book and pass it on, but sometimes it is more important to take your time and slowly savor a book particularly for non-fiction books, but also fiction books, I would recommend keeping a journal or a Word document open where you can write down notes on what you've learnt um, and quotes that you really like. For example, um, for one year, I kept a Google document of all the books I read and the parts that impacted me, the quotes I really loved, or the things in the text I actually disagreed with. Um, and this helped me be able to explain the book to another person um, one or two years on when I had forgotten everything. Um, and if it's your own copy of the book, you, you might like to use a pen or pencil and actually write in the book. Um, thirdly, I would recommend that you read something that glorifies God. So a book may either affirm a biblical viewpoint or at least be consistent with the Christian worldview. And it may even display many of the truths of human experience um, from a biblical viewpoint. Otherwise, a book may actually outright um, or contradict Christianity outright. So if you do choose to read this type of literature, I would recommend that you read with attention. So be very careful about what, what types of books you read and intention. Um, so you need to be alert when you're reading and discerning. Um, and if you are wanting to read books that contradict Christianity, um, I would recommend actually being familiar with the truth. So the best way to discern truths from falsehood is by being familiar with the truth. Right. If you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to chat. And I'm also happy to give general book recommendations. Okay, well done. We've done part one. 
Part two is why read Christian books? So as I mentioned earlier, so why do we read Christian books? As I mentioned earlier, we are not all knowing and self-sufficient people. These are God's attributes. So Psalm 139 reminds us that God knows everything and is everywhere. It teaches us that he is our creator and protector and provider. Verse 17 of Psalm 139 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. So we can't say the same about our thoughts and our ability to comprehend great truths. We, we can number our thoughts. <laughs> we can't number God's. Um, so recognizing our limits in knowledge and experience, we should desire to read books written by trusted Christian authors and theologians who spent their whole lives considering the truth of the gospel and the nature of God. What a treasure it is to have so many good writings about the Christian faith in our hands and on our shelves. We get to mine these treasures and spend time with people like R.C. Sproul, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Luther, and Jonathan Edwards, even though we'll never meet them before glory. When we read works of theologians or amazing testimonies from biographies of people like Corrie ten Boom and Elizabeth Elliot, we gain a fuller understanding of the body of Christ, the church. So Corrie ten Boom, her family famously hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. They hid them in a secret room in Corrie's bedroom. And we actually have her book, A Hiding Place, over there, which I would highly recommend. Um, Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot, who was the missionary in Ecuador. So Jim and a few of his other friends um, were killed by a violent tribe that they were evangelizing to. So Elizabeth tells a story of coming back and living with the exact tribe that killed her husband um, and continuing to share the gospel with them. Both women have incredible stories and always encourage me to be thankful, forgiving of others and also trusting in the Lord. When we hear from other Christians who've experienced God's faithfulness in their lives, we can better love our brothers and sisters as we, with, as we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. C.S. Lewis says that we read to know that we are not alone. What an encouragement to read about the lives of other Christians in different times and cultures. <clears throat> These are the people who have walked the Christian path before us and we have so much to learn from them. Another way that Christians can benefit from reading in community is the exchange of knowledge and the sharing of excitement for understanding the Bible and theology. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's a London Baptist, known as the Prince of Preachers, he once said that nations are enriched by the interchanges of commerce, and so are Christians. We each have something that another has not, and he has something that we need. Let us trade together. We read and study the Word of God for our personal benefit, but also for the benefit of those around us. So when you read an incredible book that has had an impact on your walk with God, I would encourage you to share that book with a friend or a family member. Those in the church should be some of the best bookworms out there who care about growing in our knowledge and love of God and sharing that journey with others to encourage them. So think about starting a small book club or a discussion group on WhatsApp to go through a book together or else just to share what, what you guys are individually reading. This is also a really great way of keeping you on track with your reading habits and discipline if that's something you are committed to improving. So what a blessing it is to have fellowship and community. Let's enrich our fellowship with the study and enjoyment of good books. So similar to my previous question, should we read old or new Christian books? 
There are many wonderful modern Christian academics and theologians who've written good books like fiction and nonfiction. And it is important to hear thoughtful and considered commentary on cultural issues affecting Christians today. These authors have the, their finger on the pulse of culture today and have been put a lot of time into equipping Christians to deal with those particular issues. For example, there are many wonderful modern books um, on contemporary issues by people like Francis Schaeffer, John Piper, John MacArthur and Kevin DeYoung. However, I'd also like to suggest that you read deeper and further. Consider reading The Puritans, who were the next generation of Christians after the Reformation about 400 years ago. They were really passionate about knowing God and digging deep into God's word and mining it for every gold nugget. They would often write one whole book on one single Bible verse, which just shows how passionate and careful they were about reading God's word. So one book that I think every Christian should read at least once in their lives is The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, who was a Baptist Puritan. So published about 400 years ago, The Pilgrim's Progress is a classic fictional tale um, which has remained super popular through the centuries because it is deeply rooted in the truths of the Bible. So that book was actually written when Bunyan was imprisoned from being a nonconformist preacher. So that means he wasn't licensed by the state church at the time. In that book, Bunyan tells a story of a man named Christian who hears the gospel from a man named Evangelist and then leaves his hometown, the city of destruction, in search of the celestial city. There are many trials and difficulties faced by Christian on his journey, such as traveling through the slow of despond, the village of morality, the hill of difficulty, the valley of humiliation, vanity fair and doubting castle. He meets all such sorts of characters such as Mr. Legality, Lord Hategood, the flatterer, as well as characters such as Faithful and Hopeful. As an allegory, the story, plotline and places and characters all point to a spiritual reality. So there's an additional layer into the literal narrative which we as readers get to figure out. In The Pilgrim's Progress, it is quite obvious what each of the places and people are supposed to represent. So I especially love the part of the story when Christian and Hopeful venture off the narrower way and take the broader and easier road. Unfortunately, on this wider road, they are captured and imprisoned in Doubting Castle by Giant Despair and his wife, Diffidence. So they're beaten and trapped for days on end and being provoked to even end their own lives. They really do feel despair overwhelming them in Despair Castle. After spending some time in prayer, Christian realizes that he's been a fool this whole time and he has a key called Promise, which unlocks any lock in the castle. And so they escape. So books like The Pilgrim's Progress, um, among any others, help us grow in our understanding and knowledge of God and his way for his people. By reflecting on the ways that we are tempted to doubt our own salvation, God gives us his promises to hold onto and rely on in times of difficulty. So I hope you can see from that small example that Christian books can really enrich your spiritual life by reminding you of the truths of the scriptures in new and different ways. So what makes a good Christian book and how do I know it's any good? And it might be fun to look at the top 10 best-selling books in Kurong or Amazon, but it is not always the de definitive list of high quality and theologically accurate books to read. So Matt always says, if the cover of the book has the author's face on it, it's probably not any good. <laughs> so I would recommend asking other mature Christians about books they recommend. As part of the Christian community, we are to encourage one another in the study of scriptures and to help each other grow in the knowledge and love of God. Your parents, youth leaders, or especially your pastors would have some really good suggestions on what to read. And don't forget that we have our youth library, which is packed 
full of good books that are highly recommended by the youth leaders. Um, we also have a church bookshop now, um, so feel free to pop by in the bookshop and check out um, to see what's, what's on offer there. And if you're still looking for ideas, there are some really good podcasts and book reviews, blogs, which provide a good summary of the book, um, the topic and the author. For example, Tim Challies is a blogger that regularly reviews books. I also like the podcasts run by um, Crossway Publishing Company and Reformers Bookshop because they actually interview the author who, who wrote the book and they get them to explain why is their book important to read. We might hear about the author's testimony um, and why they even wrote the book in the first place. So those are some really fun um, places. Um, there are many genres of Christian books, um, such as devotionals, biographies, Christian living, theology, and also practical books, um, which equip Christians in evangelism and apologetics. Um, so later, you can go have a look at the books on the table. And this is our gift to you for coming to my workshop, is by giving you a book to read. So if you feel excited to read a book, you have one to begin with there. And there's all sorts of different books here. There's devotions, um, such as... Um, ones by Tim Keller and John Piper and Martin Lowe-Jones. Um, there's biographies, so there's The Hiding Place, which I mentioned. Um, there's The Voice of the Martyrs. There's um, some amazing, there's, uh, there's two books, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Um, that one is from someone who grew up a Muslim and how he came to know um, who Jesus is. And the other one, Nothing in My Hand I Bring by Ray Galea. Um, he was a Catholic and he talks about um, the differences between Catholicism and um, Protestantism and how he came to know um, Jesus as well. And there's Christian living and theology. So there's a whole bunch by C.S. Lewis, um, who you may know is um, the author of Narnia. And there's also Narnia, um, at least one Narnia, and also the Screwtape Letters, which are fiction books written by him. And the Screwtape Letters is so funny. I was just telling Grace, there's um, there a series of letters written by an old devil to a younger devil and he's trying to explain to him all the tactics um, that the younger devil can use to try to trick Christians into abandoning the faith. So it's really interesting and insightful. So I would recommend that. And then there's a whole bunch of books about evangelism and apologetics, um, which I think are really cool as well. So let's move on to part Three, which is why read the Bible. So we must not be mistaken. All my talking about books and Christian books, books are not the most important things in the world. As great as Tolstoy's War and Peace is, it is not the most important book to read in your life. The Bible is our foundational source of truth and life. It is our daily bread. It is the means by which we can know our God, our creator, and have a relationship with him. So Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So when it comes to other sources of truth in the world, such as books, movies, social media, the Bible is the primary source of truth. All other content and information needs to be carefully considered and discernment is needed to find truth. The Bible should be the lens by which we view the world and the standard by which we measure all other literature and Christian writings. No other book is authoritative. It is God's inspired word, which enables us to know who God is as, a, as the creator and author of all things and understand who we are as humans who have fallen short of the glory of God. It is through God's word and the Holy Spirit that we can come to an understanding of our sin and come to him in repentance. So other books like good literature are not eternally mandated, but they do give glimpses of eternal truth. So these authors of other books, they request our attention, but they don't request our allegiance. 
and the Bible is, um, yeah, but the Bible requires our commitment and our um, allegiance. So how do we read and understand the Bible? So firstly, understand that like in other types of literature, there are many genres within the Bible. In the Bible, we have historical accounts, for example, Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, and Samuel and the Kings. Um, we have the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We have wisdom in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. We have poetry and song all throughout, but especially in the Psalms. We have prophecy all throughout, but um, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even Revelation. We have narrative, like the Gospels of Matthew, um, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which contain eyewitness testimonies. And we have epistles, which are letters, um, including those written by Paul and Peter. So that was my first recommendation, that there are many genres. The second um, point that I'm making is that I would encourage you to read the whole Bible. So C.S. Lewis says, <clears throat> If you join at 11 o'clock, a conversation which began at 8 o'clock, you will not often see the real bearing of what is being said. Remarks which may seem to you very ordinary will produce laughter or irritation and you will not see why. The reason, of course, being that the earlier stages of the conversation have given them a special point. In the same way, sentences in a modern book which look quite ordinary may be directed at some other book. Or another example is that when Matt took me to watch the latest Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, he first spent months getting me to watch all the other major Spider-Man movies that came before. And in the end, I'm so glad he did. So without giving any spoilers, he was priming me to recognize the characters that would appear in that movie. Um, and I would have no clue what was going on if he hadn't taken that effort and spent months in training. <laughs> so similarly, when it comes to the Bible, we should be wanting to read it in its entirety, particularly when we start to understand and cherish the Old Testament all those obscure references and quotations in the New Testament will start to make sense. In fact, we'll gain a richer understanding of the New Testament, including the Gospels and the coming of Jesus Christ, when we understand the Old Testament um, and each of the prophecies and promises that were actually fulfilled by Jesus. So if we joined at 11 o'clock, a conversation which began at 8 o'clock, we, so we lose out on so much of the story. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are so many references to the Old Testament right off the bat from the birth of Christ and, his, um, and the death of resurrection. In, beginning, in explaining the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew refers to the big names in the Old Testament to show that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament. In Matthew 27, 46, hanging on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? To any bystander, it would appear that Jesus is just expressing a deep cry of anguish at feeling abandoned by God at the cross. And yes, Jesus bore our sins and had the judgment of God, his wrath, poured out on Christ instead of us. We cannot even begin to imagine how, God, how Jesus would have been feeling at that very moment. But also, if we're familiar with the Psalms in the Old Testament, Jesus' words are given new meaning and depth. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He's actually quoting the first, word, the first couple of words of Psalm 22. This is important because it means that Jesus knew that this whole Psalm, written hundreds of years prior, was in some way or other about him. There are other parts of that Psalm 22 which are quoted in the story of Jesus' death. So verse 7 in Psalm 22 says, All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. And, this, and Matthew records this as, as happening at the death of Jesus. People wag their heads. Also, verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, 
they have pierced my hands and feet. That happens. In verse 18, they divide my garments among them and my clothing, they've cast lots. And this happens. So in a way, Jesus understood that Psalm 22 was a sort of script for his last hours. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He is expressing agony in his last moments. But he's also saying that as horrible as it is, it is all going to God's plan, which had been written down centuries earlier. He was actually trusting in God's sovereignty in this moment. So this is why it's important to read the whole Bible. So not just the New Testament, so we can have a richer understanding of the New Testament by looking at the Old Testament and vice versa. Thirdly, we need to understand the context in which a passage of scripture was written. Who was it written primarily for? What sort of issues were being addressed here and why? Do we know who the human author was and in what context they wrote? Is this passage meant to be prescriptive, meaning is it commanding me to do something? Or descriptive, is it narrating an event that happened? So if you take verses out of context, it can lead to all kinds of errors and misunderstandings. So understanding the context of the passage, um, you can start with four principles. Number one, the literal meaning, so what it actually says. Number two, the historical setting. The events of the story, who's it addressed to, how was it understood at the time. Number three, the grammar. So what was the immediate sentence and paragraph in which um, the, the verse is found? And also, fourthly, synthesis. So comparing it to other parts of scripture for a fuller meaning and understanding. So you, that, in that way, you're interpreting scripture with scripture. Um, so that was literal meaning, historical setting, grammar, and synthesis. And I'll give you an example of a verse taken out of context. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. If we take this verse out of context, we might come away thinking that God loves everything and everyone with this really fluffy, romantic love. But in its literal and grammatical context, love refers to the agape love, which is the sacrificial love for the benefit of one another, not the sentimental romantic love. Historically as well, John was addressing believers in the first century church and instructing them on how to identify true believers from false converts. True love, the sacrificial kind, is a mark of a true believer. And those who do not love do not belong to God. So God loved us before we loved him. And that's what John, 1 John 4 is about. And also considering God is love in the context of the whole scripture, so that's the synthesis part, comparing scripture to scripture, we understand that God is not only love, nor do we believe that his love is greater than all his other attributes. We know from the rest of the Bible that God is also holy. He's also righteous, faithful, um, trustworthy, gracious, merciful, kind, compassionate, omnipotent, omniscient. And God also hates sin and wickedness with a passion. Um, so that in that context, we understand God is love um, is not just about fluffy love and that he loves everything and everything in the world. We can have a fuller understanding of what that means by looking at the whole Bible in its context. So this relates to the importance of reading and interpreting the Bible correctly. So you might remember last term, Matt explained the two different ways of studying the Bible, exegesis and eisegesis. I think you remember that. So exegesis is the correct way to read the Bible. That is it, it is the approach which explains the text based on careful objective analysis of what the passage means. So you take into account things like context, grammar, and how it relates to the rest of the Bible. So that's what um, I've just explained. And eisegesis, on the other hand, is an incorrect way to read the Bible. 
but it is an easy trap to fall into. Eisegesis is when you interpret the passage based on your own ideas and thoughts first, and then using the Bible to back your ideas up. So essentially, exegesis means to lead out of a text, so letting the text dictate what you say or what you um, find meaning in. And eisegesis means you lead into the text when you impose your own feelings, thoughts, or ideas or agenda um, onto the text. So the way I try to remember it is exegesis is like ex exit. So it's like, okay, taking it out of the text. Eisegesis is about me, so it's about my own primary ideas and thoughts and then trying to find a Bible verse to pick it to back up what I'm saying. Um, and that's the incorrect one. So we talked about the importance of knowing truth and finding the meaning of our texts in the literature or other nonfiction books. So this is the key to understanding the Bible. Go to the passage first and let your understanding flow from what it says and what it means. Don't begin, so that's exegesis, don't begin with the idea in your head and then try to find the verse that backs up your idea. So that's eisegesis. So the first method, exegesis, it is more difficult. And you might need to read the whole passage, you might need to read the whole book, you might need to even read the whole Bible before you understand what it means. Um, you might need to go to a study Bible or a trusted website or book to help you understand the meaning of the text, and it will take a lot of time. This is compared to if you're doing the eisegesis method, you just come up with an idea and you just pluck a random verse out, um, and that is very easy. But it is so worth it to do the harder version, because to know God's word in truth and not mishandle the text. And as I said before, the Bible is our foundational source of truth and life. It is our daily bread and the means by which we can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and um, what he did for us on the cross. So let's not get that wrong. If we want to trust God and obey him, how do we know who God is or how to obey him if we don't understand the Bible? So as a side note, um, I, explained, I mentioned a study Bible. So a study Bible is a Bible that contains notes on each Bible verse, um, as well as maps or diagrams or helpful summaries of doctrine. So it's a great resource if you get a bit stumped when reading a tricky verse. Um, the footnotes can really help you out. So they might point to other verses that you can look at, or they might give you some perspective on the meaning. Um, so if you want to look into study Bibles, um, I'd recommend um, the MacArthur Study Bible. So that it's a popular one at church, the ESV Study Bible or the Reformation Study Bible. Okay, I know that was a lot of information. We've come to the end of our workshop on books. I hope I've been able to give you a glimpse into why reading is worth your time, whether it's general books, Christian books, and especially the Bible. I want to encourage you to read your good habits or build up your good habits of reading now. So, do you remember C.S. Lewis? So at the age of 10, he was reading John Milton's Paradise Lost. By age 11, he was seasoning his letters with quotes from the Bible and Shakespeare. In his mid-teens, he was reading classic and contemporary works by Greek, oh, in Greek, Latin, French, German, and Italian. We are all not geniuses like him, but maybe some of you are. But don't wait until you're an adult and finish school, etc., before you start reading. I would encourage you to build those good readings, good habits of reading now and take the time to properly understand the Bible now, even though others may think you're too, still too young. You all have things on like school, chores, and heaps of activities, serving at church, etc. but you all have more time than you realize um, to build these habits and disciplines, so make time for it. Reading is a precious gift that God has given us. 
He's created us with the ability to appreciate beauty and to learn and gain knowledge. And it's a privilege that we can read. And there's so much to learn about God and the world he created when we pick up a good book. Well, I'll close in prayer um, and then you guys can go get your gift from this workshop. Heavenly Father, we give you so much thanks um, for this time to spend um, thinking about your gift to us of books. Um, Lord, thank you for the gift of reading and for the wonderful knowledge um, and experience we can learn and gain um, from reading other books. But thank you more, most importantly for your word um, that's come to us. Um, thank you that we can know you with clarity um, and that we can come to um, saving knowledge of um, of our sin and of our and come to you in repentance as well, Lord. Um, and Lord, I pray that the rest of the camp goes really well and that we have a really safe night as well. Amen. <laughs>